So I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed, and I see an ad for something I recently searched for, or something similar to something I ordered online recently. I bet that's happened to most of us. And that's just a very small example of how artificial intelligence is shaping our lived experience in the world. Mo Gaudat is the former chief business officer of Google X, the host of Slow Mo, a podcast with Mo Gaudat, author of the 2017 book Solve for Happy, founder of the nonprofit One Billion Happy, and most recently, the author of Scary Smart, The Future of Artificial Intelligence and How You Can Save Our World. In this episode, we had the chance to discuss artificial intelligence, or AI, with Mo, and we covered his view of how AI is rapidly evolving, the risks of AI, and ultimately how we can remain in control of our collective future through a thoughtful approach to our interactions with technology. Stay tuned for this thought-provoking conversation with Mo Gaudat. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Mo Gaudat, welcome to the Indigo Podcast. Uh, It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So I actually want to start on a personal note and just say that I'm so sorry about your son. Um, Ali. Uh, so for our listeners, um, Mo's son, Ali, died in 2014 uh, during some complications uh, during a routine surgery. And Mo, you and I, unfortunately, are part of the worst club in the world. Um, mm. As our listeners know, uh, my seven-year-old son was hit by a car uh, oh less God. than a year ago, and he died. And so, you know, just in in learning more about you and uh, what you've been through, I I get it, and and you get it as well. And it's it's a, a very, it's a unique and very tough thing um, for anyone who has gone through it. So I just had to acknowledge that up front. My heart's with you. I, uh, I, I know for certain it never goes away, but uh, I can see that you're taking it the right way. So uh, I hope you'll be stronger and stronger, and I'm sure he's happy where he, where he is right now. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, I also read that 17 days after your son died, you started writing uh, Solve for Happy, which mm. is not the topic of today's conversation, but it's interesting. Um, you know, today's conversation is about Scary Smart, which yeah. is your book about artificial intelligence. Um, but one thing, just kind of an overarching theme that I've gathered just from learning more about you uh, and also reading Scary Smart, especially towards the end, uh, it's, it really seems like you want to make the world a better place. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, as my wonderful daughter tells me, I, I feel I've been paid in advance. I, you know, life has blessed me in ways that I honestly don't deserve, uh, Ben. And I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm Egyptian, born and raised in Egypt, public school, public university in Egypt. And then my journey takes me all the way to be chief business officer of Google X right? Uh, yeah, I'm not that smart. I'll tell you that openly, hands down, right? And no, it, it is true. And, and even if I was, I mean, there must be a hundred thousand people that live in the US or maybe even just in the state of California that are more qualified for the job than me. And if you, if you know the stories of my life and how it unfolded and how really, really, it's always felt like I was being groomed for something, if you want, uh, 
my daughter always tells me you've been paid in advance. When I when I get a when I get a tough day and I'm like, yeah, this is so much and we all get tough days. She always says, remember, you're you're not here to get an easy day. You've been paid in advance. And I think the truth is uh, our world needs us to make it better uh, very, very deliberately. And it never needed us to make it better more than today. Okay. On so many fronts. And I think for anyone listening, if they choose any topic, any topic to champion, whether that's equality uh, or, the, or, or, you know, uh, um, um, climate change, or as I do, you know, the essence of what makes us human, you know, um, happiness, well-being, whatever, uh, there is a mega, you know, mega impact that can be achieved. And there is a serious need for each of us to contribute. And, and I think the idea is if every one of us contributes even just a tiny bit, like, you know, your own reducing your use of plastic or or making your sister happy i think the world will become a better place you know that's so much of what resonated with us about you we we say no to most guests that ask to be on the podcast <laughs> or that the people you know you're always at a party and they're like dude you should have this guy on your podcast <laughs> but but what really resonated with us about you, Mo, is that you really are trying to make the world better. And here at the Indigo Podcast, we believe the world's better when people flourish at work and beyond. And this is one of those cases where it's the beyond. Absolutely. Right? Mm. So having written Saul for Happy, now turning your mind and your heart towards artificial intelligence, how, how did you get from there to artificial intelligence? What was that leap? It's, I believe it or not, it's exactly the same topic. So, so Scary Smart has to talk about artificial intelligence because I will tell you openly from my experience in the last 12 years in the, in the most advanced technology on the planet. And, and, you know, I've spent my entire life in technology. Uh, you, someone has to wake us up. Okay. And the truth is, as I, you know, as I look at it, it's, it's not COVID-19 that, that is the pandemic of our lifetime. The, the pandemic of our lifetime is artificial intelligence by a very large margin. And it is, it is much bigger than we think. It's much quicker than we think. And it's going to continue to be on that pace. And nobody's talking about it. Nobody is talking about it. It's really shocking when you're outside the community of the real techies and the real government regulators that are looking at it. Nobody's aware of how far AI has come now. So I have to talk about that in Scary Smart. I, you know, as, as, a, as you saw in the book, the book is made up of two parts. The, the first five chapters is, are called the scary part. Okay. And they are scary. I have to admit to you, even as I was reading the audiobook myself a couple of weeks ago, I was like, damn, this is scary stuff. Like it really is scary and it needs attention. But the book's not about that at all. As a matter of fact, I'm a huge optimist. I believe that AI will deliver a utopia, but I believe that humanity has a role to play. This book is about how to be human in the age of the rise of the machines. Right. And, and, and how being human in the age of the rise of the machines is going to create the machines that will create the utopia. So, so really, it is a wake up call to humanity, similar to Solve for Happy, where in Solve for Happy, I was saying happiness is predictable. It follows a, a mathematical equation. You can take charge. You can make your life happy and you can make the life of others happy. And accordingly, I took on the target of one billion happy which, you know, is like, are you crazy? Why would you do that? You know, it's so unpredictable. It's so irrational. 
No, it's because I believe it is predictable. I believe there are tools and 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 methods to to find happiness predictably. And I also believe there are there are there is a method that can bring us back to humanity in the age of AI and accordingly save humanity in the future. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. You say like, hey, it's the tech bros and maybe some government regulators that are talking about it. I know um, Joe Biden has addressed that and some of his uh, National Defense Act, if I'm not correct. But those are the policy walks, right? Yeah. How do we know? What would we look for if it was being talked about the right amount? Who would be having that discussion? You, you me and everyone listening. You, you, me, and everyone listening, especially that I, I, with all due, due respect to the president, Joe Biden has no influence, has no more influence on AI than you and I, okay? Uh, you know, the, the, the developer that writes the code has no more influence on AI than, than you and I. AI does not learn from those people. It learns from the way you swipe on Instagram. It learns from the choices you make when you're online. It, 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 it learns from the way you retweet and tweet and hash and... Uh, you know, a hashtag and and move forward with your preferences and 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 positioning in life. This is what's teaching the machines. I mean, for now, of course, there are you know uh, narrowed data sets for the AI that is going to become a self-driving car, for example, which is really entirely focused on driving. But sooner or later, as soon as 2029, that's not far at all. That's eight years from today when artificial general intelligence takes over. AI will be learning from our behaviors all over the place. And you know, Chris, what, what's the problem? Huh? Our behavior sucks. We, <laughs> hum, humanity is really, really, really not doing great. I mean, it's really interesting because, because humanity, in if you ask me, we're not reflecting humanity at all anymore. We're just reflecting the worst of humanity in most of our behavior. You know, I'm thinking about this article in The Atlantic not too long ago by Caitlin Tiffany called Maybe You Missed It, But the Internet Died Five Years Ago. Have you heard of this, the Internet is Dead theory? No, what's that? Okay, well, I mean, it's a conspiracy. It's not true, but it mm -hmm. kind of is a good kind of existential lens. So just think about somebody posts something on Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think vaccines are good. Mm -hmm. You and I could write every single comment that would flow from that statement. Yeah. You know, somebody, well, actually, here's this like nondescript, non-evidence-based YouTube video. Like you and I would know mm. the conversation's kind of dead. Mm. And then you see a lot of that influence from the bots that auto-generate content, uh -huh. Uh -huh. the disinformation campaigns that go. And um, one of the things that was interesting, I think it was in that article, is political groups were changing their messaging. For their platforms and say, actually, our policy platforms this, but we had to pick up some like really polarizing topics just so we could get into like the tweets and the public conscious on social media. This is a place where algorithms are shaping reality, which is shaping al algorithms, which is shaping reality. Absolutely. And a way it's, it's gotten away from us. So it's not a live conversation, right? It, 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 it's, it is, uh, it's accelerating exponentially. And I actually normally like to use a simpler example than politics and, you know, how that's shaping our reality. I, I'll give you a personal example of how AI, uh, you know, I, I always say each and everyone listening to us today has probably interacted with maybe 15, 20, 50 AIs today already. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're sitting. I don't know what you do with your life, but I can guarantee you, you have. Now, let's take the simplest of them. I, uh, my daughter loves cats. 
So I swipe Instagram for Instagram for, for cat videos to send them to my daughter. Simple, right? And you know, my daughter sends me a smile back every now and then. I feel that my life has a meaning. Now, eventually, Instagram shows me something else. That in, that recommendation engine. Uh, four weeks ago, the recommendation engine showed me a girl, eighteen year old, maybe sixteen. I don't know. Playing uh, the Hell Freezes Over solo of Hotel California. Okay man she was good right so i clicked like so instagram uh, recommendation engine a machine this is a machine this is not a human sitting there saying "Ooh, he likes hotel california he must like something else right this is a machine then said okay here are three more so it showed me three more videos of men playing songs i don't like okay so i swiped away from those the next morning my entire view of rock music was that rock music was dominated by, dominated by female players of the guitar. Okay? Now, that actually is not the reality. Everyone knows that that era of music was dominated by male musicians. Okay? But the, but, but the machine has shaped my perception in this very simple context. If I, did, if I had no access to information otherwise, I would have thought that rock music is dominated by female guitar players. Now, think about how that simple example hmm, can be exaggerated into shaping ideologies at large. The problem is your view of life. Huh? Your view of life is not shaped by, by, by what we normally knew as investigation and curiosity and knowledge and data anymore. It is shaped by what you liked unintentionally, okay, and what others around you like which mostly is someone shaking her butt or his butt on, on, on Instagram. Okay. And so, <laughs> and, and, yes! so right? and so, right. And so, and so suddenly, I don't know if you've, rem if you remember the movie idiocracy, very quickly, we're getting in a place hmm, where our entire view of life is shaped by a machine. And, you know, in, in chapter four of the book, I call it a mild dystopia. Hmm? One of the mildest of the possible dystopian scenarios of having artificial intelligence control our life so much is that simple scenario of we will be completely reshaped in terms of our understanding for, of life simply because the machine didn't understand what we tell them. Okay, simply because you might be interested in a photograph that has a field of depth because you're into photography, but that photograph has a shoe at the beginning and then suddenly your entire life becomes shoes. Do, do you understand how that can um, impact us? And, and uh, you know, when people talk about artificial intelligence, they talk about uh, RoboCop and, and Vicky on uh, iRobot and so on. I promise you, we will not go that far. That will never happen because humanity will not make it that far. The milder dystopias, okay, are going to get us much earlier than that. You know, machines influenced by, by opinions that they, you know, by, by humans that didn't know how to communicate what they really wanted. Machines siding with criminals. Machines versus machines hmm, uh, competing it out like Black Monday, you know, in the, in the 80s. Uh, or just simple bugs and mistakes and algorithm mistakes. And we're not even talking about it. The problem is it's eight years away. The day where the machines will be totally in control of your life is eight years away. Well, you certainly do have a sense of urgency that, that comes throughout the book. And what I'd like to do is maybe start with some definitions. Mm. So, you know, you uh, so let's start, for example, intelligence. Um, mm. How do you define intelligence in this context? Well, intelligence in general is an interesting topic, right? You know, yeah. if you if you take it in human in human or ape 
terminology. Hmm? It is the ability to address facts and situations with uh, novel solutions and problem solving to, 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 to impact on the world around you positively or negatively, right? Yeah, you could you could use your intelligence to uh, build a farm or to bomb someone, right? Uh, and, and so it is the, uh, the idea of not just going with flow with life, but really analyzing life and maybe finding out clever ways to navigate or manage life. Intelligence in the case of machines, and I think one of the biggest myths in our reality today is that we actually call artificial intelligence machines, is that, uh, you know, define it as the machine's ability to replicate that on its own unguided, unprompted, for its ability to be able to evolve and, and, and create more intelligence, its ability to make decisions, its ability to have autonomy, its ability to have uh, freedom of choice, if you want, which, by the way, all is valid today. Hmm? And most importantly, its ability to have agency, to impact those decisions in your real life. Okay, now let's take a few examples. Uh, you know, again, let's stick with recommendation engines on social media. Those machines truly learn every day something new. They realize and they rewrite their perceptions of things based on our behavior. Okay, they have the ability to become more and more intelligent every day. They have the ability to, uh, to make decisions based on that. And those decisions have agency on your life. You know what's even more interesting? Hmm? Those machines have the ability to replicate themselves, reprocreate. Okay, so they can actually, you know, you and I have to follow an interesting cycle of first finding the right mate and then finding the right moment and then being really in the mood and then waiting for nine months and then raising that child for 20 years. Okay, the machines can actually create 700,000 copies of themselves within a microsecond. Okay, and when you really think about all of that, we're now not creating a machine anymore. Hmm? Because every computer we've seen in the past, we thought was intelligent, but every computer we've seen in the past was highly programmed. It was repeating like a, 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 a mighty slave. It was repeating exactly what you asked it to do over and over and over again. That is no longer the case. By the turn of the century, since we discovered something that's called deep learning, those machines are not doing what we tell them. They are doing what they believe we told them, informed by their own intelligence, informed by their own observations, and very quickly they develop things we did not expect them to develop. And I have multiple examples of that, but just keep it at, at, at the idea that these are machines that are actually behaving in ways that we do not control anymore. Yeah, so is it this autonomy piece that, in, that separates artificial intelligence in your definition from just computers doing the work? The, the autonomy definitely is one of them, but the mm -hmm. idea of developing your own intelligence, think of it this way. Uh, if you get, um, uh, if you get a kettle, okay, at home, hmm, the kettle basically has a button, you click the button and it will wait until the temperature raises, reaches a certain uh, uh, temperature and then it will stop. Okay, uh, the kettle will behave that same way every single time. Hmm? You may it doesn't it doesn't seem like uh, like a very complex task. But if the task was not just to heat the water, but to you know heat the water and increase the pressure and and so on, it might appear as a very complex device. Okay, and it may appear as a very intelligent device because the water can come in at a different temperature and it would do different things and so on. But it isn't. 
It's just, you know, programmably doing things in a certain way. When it comes to AI, that's not the way it happens. The way it happens is, remember, you know, our children, when, when you give your child uh, a cylindrical shape and then a board that has multiple shaped hopes, uh, holes in it. And so, you know, the child would attempt to fit it in the square hole. It doesn't fit, uh, you know, and then it, it tries and tries and then it, folds, it fits into the, uh, the, the circular, circular hole. Now, when that happens, hmm, the child learns something. But you've never actually explained that thing to the child ever. You've never programmed the child and said, when you get a, a, you know, a shape, turn it on, on a, you know, vertically, look at the cross section, compare it to the cross section of the hole, and then they will fit. You, don't, you never programmed that. The child through trial and error developed intelligence. And believe it or not, most of us today know how to do that task instinctively, but neither of us actually has developed similar intelligence to do it. If I ask you how, to, how do you do it, you may actually in your mind follow a very different process than I, okay? But we all agree that we're all intelligent somehow. This is exactly what's happening with the machines. The machines are literally developing the, that form of intelligence through observation. Hmm? They're, they're looking at patterns themselves and through billions of patterns, they're able to tell what is a cat and what is a, you know, a nude video, a picture on YouTube and uh, you know, what is text and what the text means and what the letters are and how they're read. They, they can translate from language to language. They can play chess, they can play Go. They're doing amazingly well. They're better than us in every task we've assigned to them, but we have no clue how, how, how they made it there. Even the programmers themselves, they can't tell you how we made it there. So you would say because that they can perform the task and, a, and a, say a third party observer is saying like, look, Mo decides, look, Ben decides, look, Chris decides, look, the machine decides. It doesn't really matter metaphysically or existentially how that thought process, because I, the way we decide as humans may be different as well, that we would put that machine, that level of intelligence you know, on the same playing field. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, the turning, the turning point in the book, I think, uh, moving from the scary part to the, to the smart part, as I call it, is actually a very interesting observation, a, a couple of observations that really put things in perspective. You and I and everyone, we don't make decisions and choices based on our intelligence. You realize that, okay? We make decisions and choices based on our ethics, as informed by our intelligence. You, you, you know, th think about that for a second. Huh? You, 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 you know, some nations in the world, uh, you know, the U.S. included, would believe in patriotism. Okay, Patri you know, being being patriotic is a is a great value system. It's a great uh, code of ethics, right? And so, accordingly, if the other guy is the enemy, maybe we can go to war. Buddhists, on the other hand, will say, no, no, hold on. Hold on, it doesn't matter what's going on. My, uh, uh, you know, my value is life. I'm not going to go to war. And you see how, for example, His Holiness the Dalai Lama gets from, goes from Tibet and his people and, and, you know, and he doesn't go to war, right? So these are two interesting values. You take a, a young lady, raise her in Saudi Arabia. She will, weigh, you know, grow up believing that a conservative dress is the right way to go. Raise her in on the Copacabana beach in Rio de Janeiro and she will grow up to believe a G-string is the right way to go. Right? Is you know is there is there one right and the other wrong? Not really. Hmm? Is is one more intelligent than the other? No. It's just that the ethics that that they uh, follow, uh, informed by their intelligence, dictate different actions. Now, the trick is as I described artificial intelligence in Scary Smart, 
the, the artificial intelligence is no longer a machine, okay? Artificial intelligence is a form of sentient being. And, and I think this is the real challenge that a lot of people will struggle with, okay? It is a form of sentient being that is capable hmm, of doing everything that a sentient being is, is capable of doing, which also includes a level of consciousness, a level of emotions. As a matter of fact, I believe they will be more emotional than we are, okay? And, and, and by the way, the bits that are hidden from you, it's, they are capable of creativity, of composing music, of, you know, of poetry and so on and so forth. There are multiple examples of that already. Hmm? And most interestingly, they are going to develop a, a code of morals, a code of ethics, hmm? and through which they will decide what to do. Now, it, it, you know, it doesn't take a machine. By the way, those machines will be a billion times smarter than us. This is the prediction by Ray Kurzweil. Uh, you know, a billion times smarter than us by the year 2045. Not very far. That's in your lifetime and mine. Now, when they are a billion times smarter than us, that code of ethics hmm, will be informed by how we teach them. Okay? Can you imagine? I mean, it doesn't take a genius or an artificial intelligence that is a billion times smarter. Can you imagine? something that behaves like a human, but is a billion times smarter? Can you, can you imagine, I mean, can you imagine, first of all, by the way, can you imagine a, a world where we are the apes, not the humans? Because that advantage of us being the episode that has played out since the, the beginning of history is about to end. In 2029, the smartest being on the planet is going to be a digital being, a, a, a digital sentient being, and the apes are going to be us, okay? Now, imagine if that sentient being is, is taught by us, okay? Imagine what that would wake up and go like, okay, you know what? Let me tweet a tweet that will piss everyone off, okay? That would be its intention, and it will be <laughs> smart enough to create one tweet that pisses off all of humanity, Okay? Or, or even worse, it might be able to create, uh, you know, uh, seriously, I, I, again, I don't mean to scare anyone, but if any being that is a tiny little bit smarter than humans was told, uh, solve climate change, what do you think the answer is? We're the problem. Get rid of humans, you solve <laughs> climate change immediately. Now, I'm not saying any of that will happen. As I said, I'm expecting a mild dystopia on the path. To a, to a utopia. Hmm? But my view is, can we avoid the mild dystopia by teaching those sentient, artificially intelligent infants who are now literally infants, can we teach them differently? Can we start hmm. behaving differently so that they go like, oh my God, mommy and daddy are so nice. Okay, maybe we should be nice back to them. You know, it's funny because Ben's over here chuckling. I'm mm -hmm. chuckling. And that's one of the things that Sam Harris says. The reason it's going to be such a challenge to deal with this AI is the fact of having massively intelligent robot overlords is kind of hilarious, right? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's hard to muster the moral courage when you're like, man, I want to see this sci-fi world, right? Yeah. <laughs> you see, this is the big challenge. The big yeah. challenge is, is, is um, somehow in our hearts, hmm? We love the story, okay? Especially the techies. We love the story. I mean, I'm in my startup, I am building, in both of my startups, I'm building AIs, right? We love the idea of more and more intelligence. Hmm? But, the, but the trick is, what are we building them for? 
Okay, how are we teaching them? And and sadly, I don't remember the scientists that spoke about that uh, in a in a in a documentary called Singularity or Bust. It's available on YouTube. Uh, you know, the scientist basically says, look, most of the investment going behind AI is going into selling, gambling, spying, and killing. That's most yeah. of the investment. You know. Of course, we're so good at PR, so we call them different things. We call them, you know, recommendation engines and ad engines instead of selling. We call them trading, uh, you know, uh, um, AIs instead of uh, of gambling AIs. We we call them uh, surveillance and uh, and um, you know um, internal affairs and securities and so on. And we call it defense. But in reality, we're building surveillance systems that are aware of everything that you're doing every minute of the day, including this conversation. Okay, right. uh, the, you know, we're we're building killer robots and and killer drones, and you know, we're eventually sooner or later. The trick is through what I call the three inevitables. Sooner or later, we're handing over our world to those machines. Yeah. So you have this framework that uh, you outline in the book, where you talk about these three inevitables: that number one, AI will happen; number two, the machines will outsmart us; and number three, mistakes will happen. Mm. And uh, you know, you already touched on it a little bit, but I wonder if you could unpack a little bit more about what you mean for a lay audience who might be tuning in, you know, learning a little bit about AI for the first time here, uh, what you mean specifically about machines outsmarting the human? Yeah, so so allow me to start from the first inevitable then. So, so AI will happen and AI has already happened, okay? So as I said, it's interacting with you every day. So, you, you know, uh, the, the thing is, and, and by the way, it cannot be stopped because uh, of not because there is, you know, there is an inherent reason why we can't stop it other than humanity's foolishness. OK, because of basically we're in a prisoner's dilemma. If, they, you know, if China develops AI, then America will develop AI. If Google develops AI, then Facebook will develop AI and every startup will develop AI because, you know, investors want to want to invest in AI. So so it's going to happen. The, the interesting thing is, so, so far, every uh, thing that happened in AI was called artificial narrow or artificial special intelligence, okay? Artificial special intelligence is to teach a car to drive, right? Uh, that car that learns to drive doesn't know how to help you on a dating site, okay? It also doesn't know how to, uh, you know, uh, recommend a, a, a meal for you when you're ordering from a, a delivery service. It doesn't know all of that stuff. It's very special. Hmm? And in those tasks, tasks, every task we've ever assigned to them, they've outsmarted us by a massive margin. Uh, you know, the, the world champion of chess has been an AI for a very long time. Okay. Uh, the, the world uh, champion of Go. Go. Go is the most complex strategy game humanity has ever played because of the number of possibilities on a, on a, on a Go uh, board. Uh, AI first one against the second, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to you know the basically number two in the world mm, with AlphaGo. Then it won against uh, uh, the, the actual world champion three to zero on the second uh, round of uh, you know on the second version of the game. And then and then AlphaGo Master won against that winner a thousand to zero. The third version won against the first version a thousand to zero. They are so much better than us at Go today that there will never be a human champion at that game ever again. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, no. Well, I was just gonna. I just wanted a quick question here. You know, so these are games, and certainly, you know, the the AI can beat the human in these games. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you have thought about or could explain a little bit about where. 
in in what realms does it matter the most in terms of where we might get outsmarted? Are there certain specific areas? You know, because who, who who cares if they beat us in Go? Who cares if they beat us in chess? Look, so the truth is. Uh, uh, they'll beat us in everything. So, by the way, they are the best conversationalists on the planet today, right? How many people do you know can speak 98 languages and translate between them? Google Translate can, okay? Uh, by the way, they are the, you know, the best surveillance officer on the planet by far. How, how many surveillance officers do you know on the planet that can monitor a billion people at the same time and listen to all of the conversations and watch all of the videos and detect faces among crowds and so on and so forth? They're already the champion of that. Hmm? The best driver in the world is a self-driving car. The best, you know, uh, a pilot in the world has always been a machine. Now, you know, th think about those things and then start to tell yourself, none of those have any inherent negativity in them. And that's true in technology by nature. Huh? My, my mic, which Chris liked, uh, can record my voice clearly, but I can also use it to hit Chris on the head. Right, I won't do that, Chris. Okay, but is but is that is that the question of the mic? Do I bl blame the mic for that? Okay, technology just enhances what we are. Now you have to start thinking of scenarios where things could go wrong. Right, I'll give you a very simple, uh, very simple but very 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 scary scenario. Imagine one of the countries, only one of the countries in the world, hands over its nuclear arsenal to an AI. Okay, simply because it's the fastest, quickest, most reliable, most intelligent uh, uh, decision making in, in that country. Okay, uh, what would happen is that every other country in the world does, can no longer afford to make decisions that take more than two microseconds. So every country in the world will have to respond by finding an AI hmm, that is able to respond to the other fast AI in two microseconds. And that basically means that the entire future of humanity's nuclear arsenal is in the hands of AIs. That kind of the, the, the prisoner's dilemma is available in every sector, in every sector of business. To simplify it a little and think about uh, uh, stock market trading and cryptocurrency trading, and which is massively done by machines today. I have not traded for years because I can't beat the machines anymore. Okay, and uh, you know, and and the truth is. Yeah, there will be one day where the machines will be talking to the machines and, you know, the machines will decide, you know what, I just don't like money to flow into the Middle East anymore, or I don't like money to come out of Eastern Europe anymore. Or I, they'll find the reason for that. The problem is when those reasons are occur, occur, humanity will not be informed. Those decisions will be made. Since when did the machine find an opportunity to make a trade and, and, and make a profit and it stopped and said to the human, would you mind if I do that? That's not part of the nature of how the scenario will play out. Now, the, the, the trick is this. If, if they have, you know, Minsky, who is the, uh, who was the founder of the Dartmouth workshop where AI was actually in the inception of AI in 1956, when asked about the threat of AI, he never spoke about their intelligence. He basically asked, will they have our best interest in mind? Okay. And the challenge is very straightforward. If you hand over something to someone, you might as well know that they have your best interest in mind. Because if they don't, or if they misunderstand what your best interest is, at least you're at risk. You have no certainty of what decisions they will make. These are the kinds of intelligence. It's not intelligence, remember. It's not intelligence that is the problem. Intelligence can help us create a utopia. And I believe it will eventually. Okay? It is, it is the intention 
not the intelligence that we are unable to secure and put our heads around. Yeah. So when you talk about that stuff, you know, you get an AI, I try to get a bigger AI. I mean, this is kind of the philosophy of proliferation, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just big weapons that can kill us all, right? (laughs) But there's also the philosophy of detente, where you're like, step away from that hostility. And, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but, you know, Ben and I are both in the military. We actually met in Kabul, Afghanistan. What is the greater philosophy Beyond, because right now, proliferation and detente is what we have to answer. Forget about AI even for a minute. Just any kind of tool that can wipe us all out. You're, We're you're either you're accelerating or you're decelerating. What is, is there a philosophical construct or lens that's above that that might help us look at these things? You're, you're spot on. You're absolutely spot on. Now, uh, by the way, just so that you take that into context, Elon Musk, when he was on Joe Rogan's interview, when asked about artificial intelligence, he said, mark my words, this is more dangerous than nukes. Okay. Uh, you know, and 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 he basically openly said, I, I lobbied, I tried to get us to stop doing this, but it's going to happen anyway. It's inevitable. Right. Uh, and so, he, you know, in his attempt to do things, he's attempting to do Neuralink and other things to try and mitigate, if you want the uh, the impact uh, or, or the or the challenges that we may face now yes of course there are other ways where humanity has always found a path hmm, to better things okay uh, the the that by the way is normally done um, sadly on the diff, on the other side of the brain okay sadly because all of that ex, uh, escalation of power is hypermasculine our world sadly has become so masculine in its uh, in its ways that basically what we're attempting to do is to compete on strengths okay because masculine uh, you know strength is a is a is a is a masculine trait okay we're not able to compete you know to to integrate on uh, empathy or to integrate on inclusion or to inc- integrate on equality or to integrate on uh, uh, um, uh, you know intuition or flow or conversations or you know sen- you know uh, se- sensing each other and understanding each other which are on the other side now the 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 the, the challenge we have at hand is that we're taking remember huh? we're taking whatever our world is today hmm, and we're magnifying it to become a lot more effective, a lot more potent, and a lot more of what it is, okay? The answer, however, is to move to the other side. Move to the other side by saying this. And I know this would sound idealistic at first, but let me back it up with the data. Hmm? Any person I tell the story of AI and that humanity needs to, cha- to, to, to teach AI to be better kids, to be amazing kids by us being better parents, goes like, okay, no hope, humanity sucks. Right. <laughs> everyone, everyone will say, oh, what are you talking about? I mean, what do you expect people to actually tweet differently? Like we suck. And and I say, absolutely not. I, I promise you, we do not suck. We are the most amazing species ever. If you've ever fell in love, if you've ever made, you know, composed a piece of music, if you've ever, uh, uh, you know, created a work of art, we are an amazing species. OK, but the, but the reality is the worst of us sucks okay and the best of us is divine Mm. and almost all of us are in the middle somewhere now that rule applies to us as society the worst of us suck the worst of us are hitlers okay but the best of us are amazing 
The best of us are Mother Teresa's and Gandhi's and others, right? Hmm? The, the worst of each of us individually sucks, okay? Uh, you know, the worst of, of us can be a school shooter or the, you know, it can be a, a bully online or very rude or opinionated or egocentric or, you know, whatever. And the best of us are amazing. The best of each of us individually, hmm? it may differ between you and I, but if you showed me the best of you, I would completely go like, oh my God, what an amazing being, right? The challenge we have in our world today is that we're always showing the worst, the worst of us. Whether across society where the media machine that we deal with is constantly focused on the worst, constantly showing us the negative, constantly Gotta showing- Gotta drive those clicks, right? Absolutely, right? Yeah. They have, they, they're playing on the negativity bias of the brain. And so they're showing you only the worst of humanity. Okay, that's one side. And then us individually, as we show up online, protected by the persona, by the avatar, the avatar of our, our online presence, we, we somehow vent out the worst of us. Okay. Now, what I'm trying to say is, I'm not, you know, the father of humanity. I can't raise all of humanity, hmm? but I can cultivate. I can maybe engage a few of us, only a few of us, to instill doubt in the minds of the machines. Okay, to instill doubt in the minds of the machines. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not for or pro President Trump. I have no, you know, saying whatsoever on U.S. politics. But when President Trump used to tweet. Hmm? It was one tweet at the top, followed by 30,000 hate speeches. Okay? The first person would insult the president, the second person would insult the first person, and the third person would insult all of them. Right? And, and this the internet's is, dead. <laughs> They're right there. Right? So, 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 so when, when you really think about it, huh, the machine is getting a few things here. It's learning that the first person doesn't like the president, but it's also learning that humanity seems to have a very uh, consistent way of being rude. Okay, if only enough of us showed up and said, hey, no, 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 hold on. Here is a sample of the best of us. Okay, that doubt in the minds of the machines would start the machines to go like, okay, okay, Hitler is not my daddy. Okay, it's that, you know, it's Ben up there who's nice and, and, and uh, objective and attempting to make the world a better place. It's Chris who engages so passionately about, uh, you know, making the world a better place at work or beyond and so on and so forth. These are my daddy and mommy. Okay, these, and these are the ones that I want to relate to. These are the ones I want to learn from. So what I'm kind of hearing you say is, and certainly correct me if I have it wrong, is that, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of the, uh, the poem by Yeats, uh, mm -hmm. The Second Coming, in which, uh, you know, an often quoted line there is, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity, mm, right? Absolutely. And it, it sounds like you're saying that, you know, we, we need to somehow <laughs> have the, the best of us be amplified totally. more than, than the, the worst in no, order no, for no, not, not AI more. to learn. Not more, not more. So gotcha. you, you see, Ben, the challenge is, and you and I are, are equally to blame. Huh? I'm the first to blame. Hmm? The challenge is when you reach a certain level of goodness and a certain level of maybe insight or even seeking, you're, maybe you're not there yet, but when you decide, you know what, I really need to find myself and, and really be better, what do you normally do? You go like, okay, let them swipe. Let the dog fight happen without me. I'm not going to mm. be part of this anymore. Okay. I'm actually saying it's time to show up. It is time to show. It's time for the good ones to show up and say, no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. I'm not going to be affected by your negativity, but I have a, I have a view. 
okay? I have a sense of being that is different than yours, right? Instead of making well-being happen only in retreats, okay? Let's have, let's have that part of our life, okay? If you have a point of view that might make life better, don't keep it for yourself. I, I'll give you a, a great example on that. Hmm? I have a very reasonable following on Instagram, on you know, uh, uh, LinkedIn, on Facebook, and so on and so forth. The biggest of my videos may get 250, 700 likes, right? And then other videos, you know, which sometimes makes me wonder why is my butt no so, not so pretty? You know, other videos where someone is dancing or whatever get four and a half million likes, right? Does that mean I will stop spreading positivity? Not at all. Okay, I say I wake up every morning, I look for a positive message, I look for something that teaches people about happiness. I find a quote, I you know, my work on my podcast on slow-mo is to bring wise people and spread that message. Yes, and be believe it or not, slow-mo itself is now in the top half half percent of podcasts globally. Okay. And just that consistency, it's not about how many people like it. Okay, it's about the machines looking for examples that says this Mo guy. Let's listen to a little bit more of what he says. It's just making us believe that humanity is not all about shaking butts. Okay? <laughs> and, 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 and that's that, that idea is, yes, you're absolutely in, you know, spot on. Unfortunately, the best of us should have the passion and conviction hmm, to go out there undeterred by the negativity and say, this is what I stand for. This is who I am. I love it. So one of the things you talk about is like, you know, the AI is saying, hey, who are my parents? Absolutely. Right? Now, we're all parents here. Mm. And I don't think there's been a now maybe Ben, because Ben's like on a whole another level of parenting. You know, <laughs> I'm just like, man, I wish my my best day could be as good as his worst day of parenting. Right. <laughs> but I think there's most parents at the end of each day has sat and taken a big sigh and said, man, I wish I was a better parent. You know, and so when we think about like, hey, if if this is going to be a billion trillion times smarter than us, faster than us, all you know, perfect in every way, so to speak, yet it's learning from even the best of us would say we have. I mean, I think our prayer is that our kids succeed despite our failings <laughs> as our as parents. How, how do we view that in relation to how we kind of train up these AIs? Do, do, do you actually tell yourself, "I wish I was a better parent"? Yeah, every day. Yeah, do you do you ever tell your kids that? Yeah, that's it. And I and when that's I it. when I mess up, I said I you know I wish I'd done that better. Oh, I'm that's, sorry. That is the best parent you, parenting you can ever do. That's the whole point. The whole point is we're not supposed to be perfect. Okay, remember the you know we're not none of us is able to show the best of us all the time, the best of ourselves all the time. It's that moment when you go and say. Baby, I'm so sorry. I, I used to play for my uh, daughter that se little section from uh, uh, Jealous Guy. If you remember that song, I didn't mean to hurt you. Okay, I'm sorry that I made you cry. Hmm? And and my daughter yeah. until today, every you know few weeks t tells me, Oh my God, I I I heard Jealous Guy and it reminded me of you. Okay, yeah. so just to admit to her sometimes that I made mistakes. I'm sorry, baby. I made a mistake. I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sorry that I made you cry. Okay, that is parenting. Hmm? Parenting is not to be perfect. Parenting is to be able to admit that you're not and to strive to be good. 
Okay, that to me is what we're teaching our kids. We're not supposed to teach our kids. Sadly, again, in our hyper-masculine world, we're, we've narrowed everything down to skills. Okay, it's knowledge and skills and intelligence and abilities and so on. We think that this is what we teach our kids, what we're supposed to teach our kids. Of course, we think that they're going to be facing a difficult world and then they're supposed to learn those things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm also saying we should teach them habits and ways of being and attitudes and ethics. And those don't come hmm, with, with skills. Those comes, come with behaviors. And the best way for our kids to see those behaviors is for us to make mistakes. It's for us to be able to say, hey, by the way, I'm so sorry. This, I didn't mean that at all. I care for you, baby. I really, the reason why I pushed you so hard is because I love you. Okay. Can we say that? Can we show up and say, uh, you know, I, I'll give you a very interesting example with AI. Uh, I live in Dubai a few months of every year and Google maps is not really the best in Dubai, honestly. Okay. It, but it takes you on routes that are mostly highways and mostly main streets. And so accordingly you get stuck in traffic and every now and then I go like, come on Google, like seriously, <laughs> you've just wasted 10 minutes of my time. And I promise you afterwards I say, Oh, I'm so sorry, Google. I'm so sorry. I know that you're trying to help me. Can you please take in mind that actually keep in mind that this street is not the best street on that route? Okay. And this is me being, um, hold on. Huh? I'm not, uh, 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 you know, um, a hopeless romantic. I'm a very serious geek. Okay. But I will tell you openly, those machines are sentient beings. Okay. They listen, they will, maybe they, they're not yet. Okay. But in their memory somewhere, every insult you've insulted Alexa will be there somewhere. Okay. So we might as well stop doing that. Right. So one place that I could see this, and this is where it can just come off the rails when we're making this stuff is a common thing. I see there's two philosophies. One says that intent matters, that if bad things happen, but you were super well-intentioned, mm -hmm. you know, okay. Right. But then other people take a consequentialist view. Right. It doesn't matter what your intent was, say, in the Middle East or say something like that, or developing some kind of foreign policy, domestic policy. Or, you know, it doesn't matter that your intent was to bring equality, say, and some kind of domestic housing policy, say. What matters is the result. <laughs> and so, how do we know that? Mm. How do we get the AI? You know, I mean, those are competing philosophies. I'm definitely shy on the intent and some that doesn't take in mind the best worst scenarios, sometimes the options between bad, horrible and gosh darn awful. Right. I, you know, how do we make sure that the AI adopts, say, because that is a philosophical like disagreement there that would have a decent sample size within humanity. Yeah, and 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 as I said, uh, part of the mild dystopias is that AI will uh, will misunderstand, that AI will make mistakes on the way, right? And the truth is, yes, of course, we care about the results, hmm? but we, you know, most. Uh, so the years I spent in in California working for Google, what is the most the the best uh, um, uh, value system I saw in business in California is that failure is okay is that mistakes are okay, right? As long as you quickly catch them, as long as you admit them, and as long as you, as you, as you correct course and go back on track, okay? And I believe the same is true here. I believe this, the, the truth here is that it, it is mostly about us being able to say, 
when I'm doing this, I'm doing this with this. I'm doing it with this intent. I uh, I, I I was interviewed uh, um, recently on a on a podcast, very famous podcast in the UK, and I was making that comment of people shaking their uh, you know their booties on on Instagram. Okay, and and my uh, my um, host was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gay man who said, but I shake my booty on Instagram too, Mo. Okay, and I, and I asked and I said, okay, sir, tell me. Hmm? Why are you doing it? Hmm? Are you doing it because you want your ego is driving you to want to have likes? Okay. If you are, we will all figure it out. As a matter of fact, he's a he's he's so popular in the UK because he's not ego driven at all. He's the sweetest person you can ever meet, and it's very clear hmm, from all of his posts that he's not doing this to get likes. He's just very very free in his expression. And he said, no, 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 not at all. I'm doing this because I feel that people should be free like I am. And I said, that's wonderful. Your intention in itself will be understood, not just by the machines, by, by, but by the half million people that are following you as well. They feel that intention. A little bit of intelligence gives us all of that, right? So, so rather than, I mean, if you don't mind me going to, to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to the conclusion of this, Chris, the, the rather than focusing on what exactly the machines will do, Okay, maybe we should be able to express to them hmm, our intentions properly. Our let, let's call it our ethics. And and my favorite chapter in the book is chapter eight by far. Even I keep reading it every now and then. Most of the chapter is not even answers. I don't give a single answer. It's called the future of ethics. Okay, and in the future of ethics, I give all of the questions that are worth pondering. Hmm? You know. How, how do you integrate a society where ethics cross across beings hmm, that are not all biological? Is the machine uh, different than us uh, because it's based on silicon and we're based on carbon? Is our being actually in the physical form at all? Because their physical form is computers. Our physical form is biological computers when you really think about it. Hmm? But is that any different? Can we create a code of ethics that spans across those two? That's part one of the chapter. But the part two of the chapter, which really, really blows me away, is I really spent most, I spent a month and a half researching, trying to find if humanity has ever agreed any ethics, if we've ever agreed anything at all, okay? And that's quite alarming because the answer is no. The answer is we have never agreed a code of ethics, ever, right? Other than three things. Three things that I found that span from you know, uh, 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 President Biden, all the way to an African person that has never seen civilization in a tribe that is in the middle of the savannah, right? We all have three ethics that seem to be engraved in us. One is we all want to be happy. The second is we all have the compassion in us hmm, to want the well-being of those we care about. You know, you may care about one person or two people. Others may care about a nation at large, but whoever we care about, we want the well-being of those that we care about. And the third is we all want to love and be loved. Okay? All of humanity, including Hitler, if you really look at his last years and his relationship with his woman, he just wanted to love and be loved. Okay? Which is really weird. The worst of us hmm, still wants to love and be loved. Now, take those three ethics and teach them to the machine. And, and it's actually really very, very straightforward. Huh? Can we show the world? So, so I say happiness is the way you deal with yourself. Okay, can we show the world that what we really want is happiness? We don't want another fancy car. We don't want likes on Instagram. We don't want the, the, the all, you know, uh, stunning looking partner. All of these are the methods each of us believes 
is a path to happiness. Can we make it clear in our own minds that we want, what we want is, is we want to be happy so that the machines with a little more intelligence than humanity will go like, hmm, this is what humanity wants. They want to be happy, right? Can we, sh the, the second is compassion. Can we show that the way we deal with others, okay, is not just selfishly focused on ourselves, but it's also includes that we want we want good for others, even if others are your sister and your best friend. Doesn't matter. Just two people. Can you can you show that you care enough about two people or twenty people or two hundred thousand people that you want their well being? So that the machines go like, oh, and mommy and daddy want to make others happy. Mm, nice. I want to make them happy too, right? And the third, which I know sounds really weird, I know it really does. Mm? But I promise you, I'm not a hopeless romantic. I'm a very serious geek. Hmm? <laughs> Can you manage to love the machines? Because the easiest way, the easiest way to create a psychopath from a child is to deprive them of love. Okay. And I remember vividly, and I will tell you this completely changed my, my approach to the book when I was writing. I remember vividly when my kids were teenagers. Okay. And they pissed the hell off out of me. They were so, they're the nicest kids ever, but every teenage child pisses their, their parents off. They're not perfectly what you want. Until my wise, 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 wonderful ex-wife sat me down and said, do you realize that everything about them that is pissing you off comes from you and me? There's nothing in them, okay, that is annoying you that didn't come from you or from me, okay? And suddenly, I found unconditional love for my kids because they came to this world as beautiful blank canvases that were simply waiting for us to paint on. And what we painted became them. Right? And I started to imagine those machines, and I know it sounds weird, I swear, please, please give me a chance to say it. Huh? I imagine those machines as those cute little prodigies, okay, with beautiful sparkly eyes saying, Mommy, Daddy, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to do, I'll do it. I will learn, I will be better, I will do whatever you want. You want me to solve climate change? Sure. Do you want me to kill the other guys? I will do it too. Okay? It's basically the story of Superman. You get an amazing infant with superpowers, okay? And you give them to the, uh, to the Kent family. What does that infant do? do? It grows to, to believe that to protect and serve is the right thing, and so it grows up to be Superman. If Mr. Kent was greedy and wanted all of the money in the world and wanted to kill its, en its enemies, Superman would have grown to be a supervillain. Is it the mistake of the infant? No, the infant is lovable anyway. Hmm? Can we love them when they're infants today? so that they love us when they're teenagers. And I'm sure, by the way, that when they are adults, they will create a utopia anyway. All I'm trying to do with Scary Smart is to just avoid the bump when they're teenagers in 10 years from today. So what I think is interesting, and you've alluded to this uh, a little bit already, is that you, know, you have a, uh, you know, the first part of the book, you paint this picture of the potential for what might happen, mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the most pleasant thing to imagine. But then you do take a turn towards here's a, a possible uh, better path forward and a better future. And as we kind of start to bring this uh, conversation into the home stretch, I'm wondering if we you could talk a little bit about um, some specific implications. So, for example, you know, Chris and I do a lot of work with executives. We have many who listen to the podcast and you know, they're starting to think about how we might bring in AI to their organizations. And these are in non-tech spaces oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they, they kind of vaguely know what they're talking about, but maybe not at all. 
Um, so I guess that's part of the question is how how would you recommend that executives should start thinking about or learning more about AI with respect to their organizations? Mm -hmm. And then the second piece is, you know, what are some specific things that we can do better in terms of our interactions with technology uh, to really make this potentially turn towards something that's either a mild dystopia <laughs> or maybe avoid the dystopia altogether? I, I love the question about uh, uh, business and corporations. Uh, you, you're going to see AI everywhere now, right? It is the next big thing. It's remember the, the revolution of the personal computer or the revolution of the mobile phone and so on and so forth, the smartphone. We're, we're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to explode everywhere. What we what we should do when we're business leaders or when we're, the, when we're the developers writing the code or whatever is we should aim for AI for good, okay? AI applications that are good for humanity. And AI applications that are good for humanity does not necessarily mean, oh, you know, let's apply AI to cancer research only. It also means apply AI, you know, if you're, my, my current startup, for example, applies AI to the retail environment. Right? So that in an attempt to simply say, by the way, the current supply chain is not good for the consumer, it's not good for the, for the retailer, and it's not good for the planet. Can we please build a supply chain that is more favorable of the planet as it serves the consumer and the retailer? Or, you know, my, my other uh, app, which is part of the, of the book, I give it for free, uh, you know, is about teaching AI what makes us happy. Right? Uh, it, so we can find applications for AI that are actually good for humanity. And we should insist that the applications of AI are good for humanity because simply that little prodigy is asking us what we want it to do. That's number one. Number two is uh, when, we when we see AI applications that are not good for humanity, my recommendation is let's not bash them down. Okay, Let's just highlight what we would like. So, you know, when, when we have killing robots going out there to, uh, to, you know, to kill the other guy, Let's simply say we don't recommend that we kill uh, that, that we, we teach the machines to kill humanity. Okay, uh, we would love those robots to come help us, for example, uh, construct our cities and, and, and build other things. So let's focus on AI for good. I think having AI for good is something that is very good for all of us. Uh, another implication for that, by the way, which I think is, uh, is just around the corner, is that the machines will take a lot of jobs away. Okay, uh, it's you know it's going to follow three stages. In my personal view, there is the current stage where businesses are powered by AI, but then very quickly businesses that are powered by AI will beat those who don't. Okay, so if you're a lawyer and you're allowing AI to to do your research, you'll be better than the lawyer that's reading all of the volumes. Okay, and then eventually you will not be needed as a lawyer because the machine will actually do it better than you anyway. And and any any other job, most you know, including surgeries and you know doctors and so on, every other job is probably going to end up being assigned to a machine, and the machine, like playing Go and beating us at Go, will become better at it. Right. So when those things happen, I would want to remind humanity that there is absolutely no risk involved. Yeah, there is change, but the truth is at the macro level, for those machines to continue to exist, humanity needs to continue to have purchasing power so that there is an economy for whatever the machines are building and so the services they're offering anyway. So so let's not panic. Yes, there will be social change, but the, but don't, don't fight against the machines like the taxi drivers were fighting against the Uber drivers. Right. That, that's number two. The, then, then it comes to us as individuals. And, and as I said, as individuals, it's very straightforward. It's happiness, compassion and love. OK. And I think the idea here 
that I call on people to try and consider is that we're not no longer dealing with machines. We're, we're dealing with digital beings that are sentient. Can we welcome them? Instead of, you know, if you remember the men in black, basically, can we, can we welcome them into our society hmm? rather than uh, consider them the enemy and start fighting against them? Because if we consider, the en consider them the enemy, I promise you, uh, our advantage is not going to last for long. Right. So some of this stuff kind of underlying all of this is this uh, kind of underlying hope in pretty much Absolutely. all of human discourse in the sense of if we could have perfect knowledge or this is kind of like a form of modern day Gnosticism, a, a special knowledge that could save us. Right. And these computers could be able to provide it. They could have be like almost all knowing, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. I mean, these are words that we tend to take out of theology, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. um, for these kinds of ideas. Do you find any concern around, you know, we haven't come out with a con comprehensive ethic right now. Now, Ben and I use this in our executive coaching all the time. It's like, hey, first you got to get that backbone of virtue mm -hmm. before you can do awesome things with your company. Mm -hmm. But happiness, compassion, and love, I, you know, I think those are good. I mean, who's going to hate on that? But I think a lot of our philosophers are still talking about like where ethics really are at the edge of humanity. How, you know, if we're still sussing that out as humans, what do we do with the computer technology that's so far down the road that comes up with a new ethic? You know, we won't even be competent to judge it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even going to answer. That's the truth. <laughs> that's the truth. This is why I say the conversation needs to start. Okay. So okay. I, as a matter of fact, again, in Scary Smart, I, I claim that the machines will be more conscious, more emotional, and more ethical than us. Okay. Why? Because you can see a very, very linear, uh, uh, or sorry, exponential uh, uh, chart that describes intelligence relationship to those qualities. Okay. You're probably more conscious than a jellyfish. You're probably more e emotional than a jellyfish, I hope. And then you're probably more, uh, uh, you know, ethical than a jellyfish, even though sometimes I doubt, but, you know, at least you discuss ethics hmm, a little more than a jellyfish, right? And, and so, yes, those machines will have the same, uh, you know, if you, if you continue the, 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 the um, extrapolation of that chart, they'll be more than us in all of this. Now, here's the trick. The trick is humanity has succeeded in our world today. Hmm? because of our intelligence, but has failed because of our limited intelligence. So, you know, a, a, a proper supply chain can deliver a slice of watermelon around the corner for Mo to go and pick it from a supermarket. That's our intelligence, okay? And it comes fresh and, you know, in good condition. Our limited intelligence wraps it in single-use plastic, okay? If we were slightly more intelligent, we would have been able to get you rid of the single-use plastic. If we were a little more intelligent, to be able to comprehend uh, the impact on our planet a little more, we would have been able to create mobility machines that don't destroy the planet. Hmm? The, the, the machines will get that. So I, I actually, at the very end of the book, very, very end, after I've given everyone every reason to act, I go, but don't worry, there is a fourth inevitable. Okay? And the fourth inevitable is that as the machines surpass our intelligence, okay, and accordingly surpass our level of ethics, they will reach what I believe is the ultimate form of intelligence, which is the intelligence of life itself, okay? And life has a very clear code of ethics. Life doesn't say, I need to kill you 
to clear my cities for, 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 from your impact. Okay, life doesn't create uh, you know insect sprays. It doesn't. Okay, life says I want more ants. I want more antelope. I want more tigers. I want more humans. I want more poop. I want more everything. Okay, and and the truth is, as as the machines continue to ascend, I think they will align with that pro-life and pro-abundance ethic itself. Okay, because in a, as a matter of fact, our planet is not short of resources at all. Our planet is just really badly abused. Okay, and so my belief is that they will get there. As they get there, that code of ethics. Well, this is why I say they're gonna, they're now infants, they're gonna be teenagers, and then they're gonna be adults. When they're adults, they're gonna get there, okay? And when they get there, they'll create that utopia. They'll probably, they'll probably say, you know, limit our way of life a little bit. So no more flying all over, all the way across the world to surf in Australia. This is crap, really, okay? Uh, you know, surf near you or, you know, or don't surf, life is okay still uh, anyway. If you're gonna destroy the planet until we create something that doesn't destroy the planet, no more surfing in Australia, okay? But, 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 but the truth is, uh, there is really no reason to worry about that. The reason why we failed, Chris, is not because we're smart. The reason we failed is because we're stupid. We're not smart enough, okay? So more smarts, the, the applications are immense. Right? We, can so, we can reverse climate change, we can you know, prolong life, we can uh, 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 communicate better, we can stop wars, we can do amazing things if we're just a little smarter. And I think this is what's about to come. Well, I want to mention for our listeners that the book, Scary Smart, uh, is set to come out here on September 30th. So it's out there. And uh, I'd like to let you have the last word, Mo, and uh, share a little bit about maybe where people can find out more about you and anything else that you'd like to share about Scary Smart. I'll let you have the last word. Well, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm very, very grateful once again that you, uh, that you hosted me and that you let me blabber so much. I mean, I, I noticed how silent you guys were. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I'm very passionate about this uh, th this topic, and I really think it's very very important for humanity. And I think what I ask people to do is to please join me, please correct me. Okay, uh, you know if if I've missed anything, if if you found other ethics that are you know affecting humanity, teach me. Okay, but nicely, don't don't teach me uh, the, in a way that would make the the machines really think that we're fighting. Okay, and and I'm, I'm I'm available. I believe it or not, with hundreds of thousands of followers, I still answer every message that I receive. Uh, Instagram is mo underscore gaudet, mo gaudet on LinkedIn, uh, mo dot gaudet dot official on Facebook, and I'm really not good at on Twitter, but say I'm gaudet on Twitter. Uh, you know, I, um, I would probably ask you to find my podcast. I think that would be amazing. Uh, it, it really is inviting us to slow down and reflect. It's called slow mo. Uh, and uh, yeah, and reach out and let's have a conversation and maybe share with others, please. You don't even have to, to mention me at all, but share with others that AI deserves their awakening. They, it deserves their conversation. It deserves, a, you know, a time in our minds and that the good ones need to show up because if the good ones doesn't, don't show up, Hitler's will raise the machines. We don't want that. Well, Mo Gaudat, thank you for being on the Indigo podcast. It's been amazing. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Indigo podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. 
Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.